Green Left Weekly Radio. There's one newspaper that is independent of powerful capitalist interests, and that is Green Left Weekly. It's the people's voice committed to human and civil rights, ecological sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas that the mainstream media won't. Green Left is a leading source of local, national and international news with analysis, discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movement. It helps expose the lies of the capitalist press and puts the voices of the marginalised and the oppressed at the centre of fighting for a better world and helps us understand the political developments unfolding around us. Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Green Left Radio, and we're here today presenting to you on Good Friday. Um, hope everyone is has a good kind of Easter weekend kind of planned, and you're joined today by myself, Jacob. And me, Zane. Top of the morning to you. Yeah, so before we get started, um, I'd like to acknowledge that FreeCR today is being broadcast to you from, um, from the Wandry land of the Kulin Nation, I like to acknowledge that this always was, always will be Aboriginal land, um, and that sovereignty was never ceded. And FreeCR and Green Left Radio is committed to supporting First Nations self determination and 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 campaigns for for justice and decolonisation. Okay, so. We have a pretty packed program um, today, so we're going to be um, we're actually following the the really massive construction um, building industry led um, the building industry um, trade unions rally. There was a big massive rally against the cost of living crisis and corporate greed on just only on Wednesday in Melbourne, and actually across the across the entire country. There were big there were protests in Sydney and Brisbane. Um, and also WA, um, we're going to be um, interviewing Tim Gooden, who is a CFMU delegate, to actually kind of discuss and kind of unpack some of the kind of political issues um, that that was motivating a lot of the workers um, when they went on strike um, last um, this Wednesday. And then we're going to be um, we're going to be talking to um, we're going to be speaking to someone from the support network for international students uh, who have started a camp who are basically campaigning um, around the kind of pre-COVID around the COVID sort of period. Um, the gov- the Morrison government actually removed the cap for inter- um, the international um, international students. So basically. Uh, most international, generally, the rule has been that international students have had a cap in terms of the number of hours that they can work, um, that they can work a week or work a fortnight. I think it's a fortnight, um, a fortnightly time. And the Albanese government is basically threatening to, is basically going to get remove that cap, which is actually going to disproportionately impact on many international students. So we're going to be speaking to um, to someone from the Sport Network for International Students who are starting to campaign for who uh, initiated a campaign around um, demanding that the Albanese government don't um, lift the cap. And then the other the other um, interview we have is there's been quite an exciting um, strike um, led by university workers at the University of Sydney. So we're going to be um, speaking to McCullough, who is actually a, a, a committee member of on the University of Sydney NTU, uh, NTU committee member with um, University of Sydney. And we're going to be speaking to her about some of the politics of this strike. In fact, this has actually been a very long-running dispute. Um, and yeah, it'll be, we'll, we'll be, and the strike actually, the strike went on for two days actually, um, only this week. So we'll be, we'll be quite excited to hear a bit about that. So yeah, um, 
I guess possibly um, I wanted to sort of discuss some, maybe discuss some headline news that's probably come up in kind of like the past week. And probably one news story that's kind of um, that's kind of st- stood out to me this um, this week has been there has been this kind of push from um, from the um, from the government to ban TikTok not on not ban TikTok for the average sort of uh, Australian or the average citizen, but basically they've they've basically implemented an Australian wide ban of TikTok on government devices um, as and. The, the justification for this is because Thai, TikTok is um, owned by a Chinese sort of capitalist, um, they're basically arguing that, you know, TikTok poses significant security and privacy risks to non-corporate Commonwealth entities arising from intensive collection of user data and a, a po- exposure to extrajudicial distractions from a foreign government that conflict with Australian law. Now, I think just to unpack all of this, I actually think this this sort of ban, and, and this ban has actually been implemented in other kind of Western countries, I think this actually all kind of centres on quite a, a level of kind of hysteria, especially in the context of this sort of hysteria about about China. And we've obviously been discussing the whole, you know, this whole drive to war by, by the Western, um, Western sort of governments. And there's really, I think, when it comes to when it comes to the actual evidence, there's no real evidence that um, that makes out that TikTok is kind of any worse in terms of security risks than any and than any other social media application that um, that people use on a daily basis. And you know, Green Senator David Shoebridge even criticised it for being you know said it's like if we're not careful, you know. Um, it will just be a first hammer blow in an endless game of online whack-a-mole, he said. We're in a data security and privacy com- um, crisis, and we're fixated on one platform. The data security issues that um, David Shoebridge points out are, for TikTok are mirrored in pretty much every other social media platform. The difference is that our government is not running a fear campaign against the governments that host those platforms. But yeah, what do you sort of have any comments, um, Zane, on, on some of this stuff? Uh, well, I'm turning 40 this year, so I'm an old man. And I remember, after the September 11 attacks of 2001, this little thing called the War on Terror. And all of this new legislation being passed to give government intelligence and security agencies the right to mine your data. And all of this legislation being passed to compel companies like Twitter and Facebook and uh, Google and other groups, uh, other internet platforms to provide back doors to allow security agencies to get in there and have a big old trawl through and check that there's not terrorists doing naughty terrorist things. So this idea to me that, oh gee, we better be scared of TikTok because Chinese government is using it to spy on people. Uh, a bit of a case of the pot calling the kettle black, I would say, because look who's talking. <laughs> You're doing all the same stuff through all the other apps. So, yeah, I just think it's sinophobic hypocrisy. doesn't mean that it's necessarily a good thing. Like, it would be great if one day we had publicly owned social media which had very rigorous protections around people's privacy. I'm not really saying that it's great that um, 
you know, potentially there is Chinese government spying through TikTok, but gee, it's it's really the exact same thing is happening on every other platform by all the other security agencies as well. It's Stasiware in your pocket. So, yeah, I just think the double standards, once again, the, the kind of, the bar that is applied to Chinese-owned company, companies um, is just ridiculous. And, and it, yeah, it's not just around TikTok or social media. It's in all areas. China is becoming the world's largest economy. They're getting a bigger army. They're putting some more Navy boats in the sea. They're being a bit more assertive. Again, I don't necessarily support it, but look who's talking. Australia, the US, Britain, decades of military aggression, of invasions. So, yeah. And uh, I think one other thing as well is um, when it comes to this whole data security issue, there's a whole lot of issues. Like, for example, we just had that, just recently, we had that big um, data leak with, um, with Optus. And it's not like... It's not like the government. Um, if the if the government was kind of serious about data security, they would actually be establishing committees that looking that look into all these sort of political issues and then trying to actually suggest kind of reforms uh, to that actually kind of address um, the fundamentals with with data security with all these big tech companies. But rigorous regulation and rigor- very big fines if you don't comply. Yeah, they could be implementing rigorous regulation, etc on all these sort of social media, um, towards all these sort of social media platforms, but also other sort of platforms where, internet platforms where we're, we're giving away our personal data. But actually, yeah, there's no interest in that. Instead, we have to go and go for a kind of hysterical kind of news cycle about the government sort of apparently taking action because they're targeting TikTok um, and all on the basis of some xenophobic kind of fear of of China, so I think you know this is just I think I think in a sense this is just a way of the government to, from actually distracting us from all the other issues that they're not kind of actually addressing us uh, in terms of data security. Now I guess um I was actually thinking um I wonder if um we can play actually we can possibly play a quick song actually before we before we go into our first interview with Tim Gooden. Um, Poppy got what some um, some songs I've got here. I'll I could play "One True Place" by Amy Saunders. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio, and we'll go. And following that, we'll be joined by with an interview with Tim Gooden. One of these days, you'll be wandering. Over sea and over land To a place where we can be together And although we now have parted I do believe That those who truly love each other will meet again and although your heart is heavy and your mind it needs to rest even though 
someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to, you can call the Wellways Helpline. Wellways Helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities, as well as their family, friends and carers. 
We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Huawei's Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. Huawei's Helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Wellways Helpline on 1300-111-500. That's 1300-111-500. Wellways supports 3CR. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR 855 AM. And we're very happy today to be joined by Tim Gooden, um, who is a CFMU um, delegate. And we have him on our program today to kind of actually have a bit of a good kind of discussion about, I guess, the cost of living crisis and, I guess, the current sort of workers' fight back. Um, we, as I mentioned before, there were these big... Uh, protests um, organised by um, the big industrial unions, um, which the CFMEU is uh, a part of, on Wednesday, which drew like tens of thousands of workers campaigning against the cost of living crisis and corporate greed. Um, so, yeah, good morning, Tim. Well, good morning, comrades. How are you going? Yeah, good. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I want to kind of start off, Tim. I mean, what can you tell us, I guess, to give a bit of an overview, what has, I guess, been the sort of impact, I guess, on this current cost of living crisis on ordinary workers, especially those within the construction industry? Oh, well, I, I, I think it's the same right, right across the board. Obviously, those with a mortgage are, feel, are feeling it. Um, they've gone up $500 a month for some of them over the last 12 months of interest rate increases. Um, but it, you've got to look at... There's a whole range of things that aren't even in the CPI, like uh, licences. Just to get a licence renewal, not even a photograph has gone up $100, so that's $300 this year. A little car, insurance, is a third-party registrations, $800. Um, then there's your rates. A lot, a lot of people are paying two and a half, three thousand dollars 3000 of rates. So in any one month, Without electricity bills or, or telephone, you could be forking out two, three thousand dollars a month, um, and, and that's not even including the kids' school fees, clothing, food, etc. So it's, it's rapidly in, in, increasing right, right across the board. And privatisation, like I, I mentioned, registration and licensing before, that's all been privatised in Victoria, and. Um, and all those things are just creeping up on workers and, and hitting them pretty hard. And yeah, and I guess what can you, and following, I guess some of the some of the um, some of the kind of big kind of protests which you kind of participated in as a union delegate. Um, one of the kind of big focuses for this protest, um, and I guess um, especially in the context of this cost of living crisis and the fact that wage wages, I guess, have been kind of stagnant. What can you, I guess, tell us about some of the anti-union place, uh, anti-union laws that have not been reversed to date by the Albanese government, and by which this was a big focus of some of the protests that happened on Wednesday? Oh, look, there's dozens of them that have been brought in uh, over the years by the, the, the Liberals, and um, I, was, I was really pleased to see John Sector saying up on the podium at the beginning of the rally um, that there's uh, personal orders or fines that are still there that individuals can be fined for, for, for taking action. 
and no, nobody can help them pay for that. They've got to try and do it themselves. That's, that's always been there to, by the Liberals to in, intimidate people. But our, our ent- entry into workplaces is, is still illegal. Um, the, the, all the old cases of the ABCC, uh, they're, they're all still going. Um, so there's, there's a whole range of issues. It's harder for workers, uh, even under the new laws, to take protected action. You've got to jump through more hoops. Uh, they've got to go before the full bench of the, the IR Commission. Um, that, that's, that's been stacked with which Liberal mates are over the years, and they're not going to give us, they're not going to give us any pay increases. And I had a couple of workers say to me, oh, but, you know, how does taking, you know, we go on strike, we leave Geelong, go up to Melbourne, we lose a whole eight hours' pay, plus cost of getting up there, etc. How does that help our cost of living? And I said, we're not, we're not the only ones that we're fighting for. Our, our partners, our kids, our next-door neighbours, not everyone works in the construction industry, but we're, we're some of the strongest unions around and the most well-organised unions around, and um, there's an onus on us to lead the way. If we're not fighting for against the cost of living or for justice or fairness, then who, who is going to do it? And uh, so what we gain and what we show the way on how to campaign, um, that benefits all workers as well as us. <clears throat> yeah, Tim, just continuing on that uh, note of the strong defending the weak, some of the cynical comments on the CFMEU Facebook page are sort of saying, oh, well, some of these building industry group union members get paid good EBA wages, so why are they out on mm. strike? But it's even within the construction industry or within these kind of building industry group of unions, not everyone is, is on that EBA site. And as you say, it's about the strong um, leading the fight, yeah, on behalf of the working class as a whole. Well, that's it, man. It's no, it's no coincidence our action was this, was this week when there's a whole series of actions by other unions and Victorian Trades Hall, um, uh, your, your right to work, union first type people campaigning on the streets for the case that's going before the, the, the full bench at the moment, the national wage case that happens every year. Where we won seven, we're on 7% across the board, uh, across all, all, all awards including our own. Um, and, uh, now, sure, we, we've got, um, we, we've got, what do you call it, the EVAs that we've been fighting for over the years and maintaining. And um, we, we want other people to be able to do the same. So you can't sort of say, oh, look, one, one group's doing well because they fought for it and try and pull them down just to make yourself feel better. Uh, the way we view things is you've got to fight, fight for what you get. You don't get nothing for nothing, and um, and if we can show the way for how, how other people can do it, well then they can join in. Mind you, a lot of these comments, a lot of these comments come from people in the like the industrial relations commissioners that are on four hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, uh, even con- construction workers can't even dream of that sort of money. And um, now another thing, I saw a speech from the rally. And I think it was a, a AMWU organizer or delegate representing busy workers up in Shepparton. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that struggle? Because that's an example of some of these union members who are 
not raking in massive wages. They're fighting to get a union EBA up, and it's uh, it's a tough struggle, and they're not they're not getting paid heaps of money at the moment. No, no, that's right. No, they like like the laws are for everybody. They've got to get an EBA every three years. Um, the bosses try and refuse to con- contribute to that, and they stall it out as long as they can. Some, some of them do lockouts. So the, the busy the busy workers, the OMWU members, have, have been fighting for quite a few months now, and they've had a number of rallies up there and down in Melbourne. And um, uh, like all these things, who's so, so still standing on the last day? And when workers do it together, and when they do it together well with their union, uh, well, we always come out in front. And then, then the, the shepherd and busy workers will as well. And uh, one other thing, um, can you comment, historically, there's been a bit of a trend over the last however many decades, when you've got the Labor Party in government, particularly at a federal level, uh, unions tend to be, union leaderships tend to be uh, tied in with and aligned with the Labor Party. They tend to mobilise less during periods of Labor government. So can you comment on the significance of like a pretty substantial national union mobilisation while there is um, almost wall-to-wall Labor governments? Yeah, look, there's, there's an, there, is, there is an automatic tendency after years of being under the, the heel of the Liberal government that whenever Labor gets in, everyone sort of breathes a bit of a sigh of relief and takes the foot off the accelerator and has a bit of a rest in the hope that Labor's going to fix everything up. And they often do give little bits and pieces. Uh, they do a little bit in the refugees, they do a little bit for the unions, they do a little bit for the environment. But they never go the whole hog, um, and we're seeing this now with the union laws. There's, there's still refugees stuck. There's still um, gas and coal mining going on in the environment. Um, so, so I think it takes about you know twelve to twelve months, two years for people to realise, oh, hang on, things aren't improving as quick as we'd like, and we'll have to start campaigning and organising again. And um, well, the the is no, no, no fool. They, they know what laws are up against and what laws uh, prevent us, and, and they will campaign wherever we can, um, both federally and state, to make sure that, uh, that the the building workers aren't uh, dis- dis- disadvantaged by anti-union laws, and and that often means for the CFMU breaking them uh, to make sure that our members are safe and well fed. Yeah, so Tim, I want to go into, I guess, a bit of one, I guess, kind of theme, I guess, um, that has that was sort of um, that was sort of a, um, a common at the rally was a common theme at the rally was basically this whole question around wage growth um, and and corporate profits and inflation. Basically, a lot of the kind of speakers basically were very quick to point out, you know, wages are stagnating. Um, and of course, the the ACTU is obviously putting a big demand around um, having a seven percent um, wage increase for low kind of paid workers, but also the fact that um, you know the RBA, the Reserve Bank of Australia, is continuously increasing interest rates. Um, banks are kind of reporting record kind of profits. Um, I yeah. want to hear some of yeah. your comments on you know the kind of campaigns for wage increases by workers, the stagnation of wages, but also the you know the question of actually what is really driving inflation. 
Yeah, look, um, just to first, first to comment on the rally itself, um, wasn't in a great turnout and, and didn't workers, weren't workers keen to hear what was going on and how we were going to fight back. I mean, it was a really impressive um, turnout in the capital city um, at short notice. So this is only the posters were only put out last week, and workers were only asked to come over the last few days, and they were super keen to to get involved and um, and be part, part part of part of the struggle because because they know in their hearts that we don't cause inflation, we don't cause you know, government debt or, or companies going broke. Uh, the 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 ruling class do that to themselves, like. We the wage wage growth has been at its lowest for the last ten years, for decades. The lowest the lowest wage growth, even two years ago, the the head of the Reserve Bank said workers need a pay increase because it's starting to affect consumer consumer confidence and buying power and so and so on and so forth. And it's 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 just the case that we've got low wage growth. And all our industries haven't had um, pay increases that have kept up with the cost of living. Then why has inflation gone so high? I mean, governments have spent billions of dollars propping up and bailing out capitalist governments ever since the 2008 financial crisis, right through to through to COVID. Yeah. Um, particularly in, in in America, which flows under here, you can't pretend that we're not part of the world finance system. Um, that's what's that's what's fueled the inflation, mm-hmm. and that's what's causing the suffering uh, of of workers today. And so we need to fight back against all of that. Obviously, to get a pay increase to keep up with the cost of living for the immediate demands, but we also want a fairer system. Uh, so why aren't more things freely available through the public service? Uh, we've had 30 years, 40 years of privatisation that have taken a lot of those services away. Uh, dental, medical, it's hard to find a bulk billing now. Um, you know, so the, they, and I know people go, oh, that's the state responsibility, that's the federal responsibility, and they toss and change. But they, they're very quickly to whip out the money to prop up um, big business, or to spend $365 billion on a couple of submarines just to help the American capitalists maintain economic um, dominance in the region. So, you know, I, I think workers need to be um, more f- fully educated on all the things that affect our lives. And instinctly, workers know what are affecting our lives, and they know we're not causing it. So they, they, like, they need leadership of the trade union movement to steer those campaigns and to bring about more equality and justice for everybody. Uh, and, and then within, within the workers, there's, there's groups of workers that are even more disadvantaged. Women, migrants, young people looking for apprenticeships. Uh, they, they need even a- extra campaigns um, to, to help pull them up uh, out of poverty as well. Right, and um, to kind of conclude, I guess um, this kind of interview, um, what can you, what do you think needs to kind of happen next in terms of building a mass kind of workers un- um, workers movement that can actually reverse um, reverse these laws and actually fight? Um, I think just one thing I want to read from is at the um, at the end of the rally, 
um, there was actually a motion kind of put forward by um, one of the national um, one of the national secretaries um, that basically um, you know. Uh, it was a motion that basically called on Labor to deal with the cost of living crisis, abolish anti-union laws, and address address wage theft. What do you kind of think is the kind of way forward in terms of actually winning those those demands? Oh, I, 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 I think I think we've got a very good chance. The, the best thing that we can do is to continue to lead the way uh, as we did with the with, with the rally. Um, there needs to be more information material, more, more more actions around the place, and and to do that collectively with the um, the various trades halls and, and the ACTU, so that the other weaker unions that uh, haven't been campaigning for twenty odd years, uh, that they start to get out there with their rank and file, and um, and start to bring them along together. Um, we saw what we could do in two thousand um, and seven, and. The union movement in Australia has got a massive history, whether you go right back to the eight-hour day, right back to all the campaigns that we've won, uh, the shorter working week. Um, these, they, they told us in, 20, in tw- year 2000, there's no way you're going to get a 36-hour week in the building industry. There's no way you're going to get a nine-day fortnight. The bosses will never accept it. Uh, after six months' campaign, we got it, and we've still got it today. Uh, so... Unions can win these things, and we can win them off Labor, particularly, and we can get all the other unions involved if, if we work on it and, um, and and not give up. Some of these things take years, um, but everything has a beginning, and I was really pleased to be part of the beginning uh, last Wednesday in Melbourne. Good. Good. Well, thank you very much, Tim. Good, um, Tim, it's been um, great having you on our program, and, yeah, we're all the solidarity, and we're... We'll get, and um, Freecia and Green Left Radio will continue to kind of cover all the kind of stories of workers' struggle um, and, and resistance and highlight and highlight them in our program. And we're actually going to be doing an interview with a University of Sydney activist um, to talk about um, the ongoing strike campaign there. So thank you very much, um, Tim. Yeah, cheers, Tim. No, it was good, good, good on your comrades. Keep up the struggle. Cheers. So we're just speaking to Tim Gooden, um, who is a CFMU um, delegate and shop steward, um, about the kind about responding to kind of like having a bit of a good discussion about you know the current fight for workers' rights, especially in the context of the big sort of massive rally. And if, and I think you know that rally I think was quite significant in a lot of ways, and probably one thing that was quite exciting hearing from um, some of the some of the organisers that the rally is there was a bit of a sense of you know we're back on the streets, you know because of the, obviously the impacts of the kind of COVID-19 sort of pandemic, mm. um, which has actually put a damper on on some of the kind of street mobilisations. In fact, that was actually probably the first big workers' rally since 2019. I think I think that was um, what what was actually said at the rally. But do you actually remember any workers' um, rallies that have happened between, like big massive workers' rallies that have happened between 2019 and 2022? I don't think so, actually. Hmm. Not really. Like when I think of 2019, I think of the climate strikes that year, and in particular, a massive one in uh, September 2019. There was a there was a union um, block as part of that, which I was part of. But to me, that that's another dimension of this: is if the climate strikes can can get fired up again, or something like that, some sort of large mass climate mobilisation, there is potential to have that intersect with a mobilising trade union movement and build something that's really powerful and that's that's gunning on both fronts. And so, 
yeah, I, I hope this wasn't just a one-off rally that we saw on Wednesday and that it is the start of something more ongoing. And I think that's that's what's really called for in the current situation. The, the, the economic situation is really bad. Workers are getting their ass kicked in a way that they haven't for probably 100 years. And uh, so it, a fight back is really called for. Definitely. All right, well, I'm just going to go play a quick announcement. You're listening to Green Left Radio on Free CR 855 AM. We've got a common enemy. The same government that locks up these refugees just behind us here at the Park Hotel is the same government that's going for our rights, trying to attack the very limited gains that casuals have. And so when union activists take up the cause of refugees amongst their fellow workers, it's not an act of charity. It's about building workers' united self-defence mechanism, understanding that we're all part of the same battle. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR, 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital, and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855am. And I thought um, we'd start, before our next interview, I thought we'd have a bit of a quick discussion about, I guess, a bit of a kind of, uh, this has been kind of a bit of a news, this has kind of been a source of discussion, I guess, within the mainstream press for the past week. But this is um, related to, I guess, the kind of state of the current of the Liberal Party. Now, and obviously in kind of like in some of this commentary, we don't sort of have any kind of illusions that, you know, the ALP in a sense represents like this big sort of way kind of forward. But it has been quite exciting to kind of see the kind of almost destruction of the of the Liberal Party in some ways. I'm not sure if they're completely gone, but on Saturday we had um, the Aston kind of by-election. And now Aston generally has been a very conservative seat. It's generally been held by the Liberal Party. In fact, I have a sort of special attachment to it as well because um, I used to live in the... Um, when I was growing up, I actually used to live in the Aston seat, um, specifically the suburb of Roval, which is a suburb that's sort of like in Melbourne that's so sort of considered a bit uh, far out of the way. And it's one of those suburbs that's never been served by any kind of public transport. Like, there's no train station. You have to take a bus to Glen Waverley, etc. Um, and it's also been a suburb that's, like I think, been very much for the kind of aspirational sort of homeowner, the kind of aspirational sort of middle class. Now, yeah, following sort of Alan Tudge's um, resignation, uh, a by-election was called um, for Aston. And, you know, what is quite interesting is that the Labor Party actually won it um, with a, actually quite a significant swing towards them of over 6%. Um, and, of course, following the, the state election result in New South Wales, which we discussed last week, where um, the Labor Party um, won by a great kind of majority, there's actually a lot of questions being posed about um, the future of the Liberal Party and its actual viability as uh, as a kind of opposition. Um, and, in fact, yeah, I guess that's... A, I think it's it's definitely a kind of interesting sort of development to follow, Um I mean, these, there's obviously concerns that, you know, we don't, 
the the kind of hegemony of the kind of Labor Party is something I think we do have to challenge. But obviously, the Liberal Party are always much more right wing. Um, and the fact that, you know, Peter Dutton has sort of singled his sort of opposition to The Voice. Now, we have a lot of criticism of The Voice, but the reason why the um, Peter Dutton is actually pushing towards a no rate is he's actually putting his lot in with all the kind of racist, the, the, the right, very right-wing elements in kind of society in a sort of last bid to, yeah, um, to single his sort of opposition to the Labor Party. So, yeah, what are you, some of your comments saying on some of this tonight, these dynamics? Yeah, and... I mean, we've spoken previously about uh, Lydia Thorpe, spoke at a forum back in Feb and, and spoke really um, eloquently there about how the voice is a, a the voice proposal is for a non-binding um, voice. It's, it's not going to have any power. And there's all of these issues that Labor governments, state and federal, could have solved, black deaths in custody, um, very poor access to the same level of health care in Aboriginal communities that the broader population has access to, terrible housing, land rights still unaddressed, treaty is still unaddressed. Labor governments could be addressing all of these things without a voice. There's already voices raising these issues. So I guess that type of opposition to the voice is saying this is a token gesture and there's all this stuff that could be being done right now. That's very different to what the Liberals are saying. The Liberals are saying they're, they're inverting the situation on its head and they're saying this voice will give Aboriginal people and the racist subtext is there's these conspiracy theories by racists who claim that Aboriginal people get better welfare than everyone else and who claim that Aboriginal people get free four-wheel drives or some bollocks like this. And that is the the vein of racism that the Liberal Party are aiming to tap into because it's their it's like their security blanket over the years, being racist, attacking refugees, stirring up Islamophobia, attacking Aboriginal people. That sort of racism is the is the thing that the Liberals have traditionally relied on to get elected, and that is where their anti voice campaign is coming from. Um, is it going to work though? Is the is the public mood out in the community? Um, you know, they, they'll stir up some racism for sure. But are they going to be able to defeat the voice proposal based on that? And are they going to be able to galvanise their support base around racism? And that's a very open question. And I don't think I don't. There's very clear divisions. Ken White has just the former MP Ken White from uh, Western Australia has just quit the Liberals. He's not in Parliament anymore. Um, he's an Aboriginal man and has been involved in putting together this voice proposal. Um, he's quit. Um, there's other people in the Liberal Party, like um, Tasmanian Liberal MP Bridget Archer, who's publicly speaking out and saying she supports the voice proposal and is going to campaign for it. Um, and yeah, after the Aston Boy election, there was a um, a funny article in Crikey by Guy Rundle, and it says, after Aston, the right has... <laughs> I can't finish this headline. That's the name. That's the headline of his article. And he's basically talking about how in the not too distant future, it's entirely possible that not only will there be Labor governments in every state and federally, but also 
even urban local governments won't even have a liberal mayor. And so the most senior liberal people holding government potentially within the next few years will be on the head of rural councils. Um, but he finishes his... And he talks about this division between the hard right of the Liberal people and then more moderate um, Liberal Party members. Um, but Guy Rundle finishes his article by saying, OK, the, there may not be Liberal Party governments in Australia anymore, but in a way they've won the battle because the Albanese government is kind of like the Howard government light it's it's neoliberal to its core it's not pushing back against the neoliberal agenda of you know everything is privatized we don't invest in in public services so yeah it's it's a good article because it's sort of saying yeah okay whoop-de-doo ha 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 no liberal governments anywhere but hey look at the political content of what these labor governments are they're they're totally neoliberal so it's Good, good article there. I don't always agree with what's in Crocky, but that, that's a pretty good analysis. And yeah, Rundle is definitely saying there's going to be some serious <laughs> trench warfare within the Liberal Party between the hard right faction and more moderate people. Hi. Well, thanks for that. Um, I'm just going to go quickly play a quick announcement and we're going to go on to our next interview. You are listening to Green Left Radio. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3CR.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. I think 3CR is the voice of the people, speaking back to the establishment and telling them what they think, and sometimes it's something they don't want to hear. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And today we are joined today by Jenki, um, who is a member of um, Akaban Melbourne and is also a volunteer at the Support Network for International um, Students. Um, and as a representative she ha- of, for the, from the Support Network for International Students, um, she's been part of, I guess, a campaign um, um, for the Albanese government to not reimpose um, the wage cap um, for international kind of students. So good morning, Jenki. Good morning, um, and to, good morning to the listeners as well. And yes, that's correct. I am here to promote our campaign called Scrap the Cap um, because um, you have mentioned the, the government reimposed the cap to working hours of international students of 48 hours per fortnight so mm. that international students do not breach their visa requirements of not failing their studies while working. And um, just, I think just to probably also in terms of staying off, can you give us, I guess, some of the overview, I guess, of some of the issues that are currently, I guess, that international students are currently facing, I guess, in so-called Australia, especially and, and, and especially in the context of why it's important that this um, wage cap um, not be reimposed? 
Um, that's a very good question. International students are actually very vulnerable and uh, at risk of being exposed to harmful working conditions and wage theft. So if this is reimposed, international students will be um, pushed or like yeah, pushed to um, get a job and um, do a cash on hand job, if you've heard of that. Mm. Yep. And with the increasing expenses of like rent, health insurance and child care fees um, and school fees, like in my case, my tuition for my bachelor's degree is not cheap. And on top of that, I have placements all throughout my study, which is also unpaid. So just, um, yeah, on top of like everything, it's just uh, piling expenses. Hmm. And can you... Yeah. And tell us a bit more, and can you tell us more about, I guess, the campaign in terms of um, the demand that you're putting, I guess, on the Albanese government? Um, because I guess the wage cap was, um, I guess, was removed, I guess, in the context of, I guess, of the COVID-19 sort of pandemic. And I guess, um, what, what, what is the time that um, the Albanese government is looking to reimpose it? And what, it, um, what is the campaign? Yeah, can you tell us a bit more about the campaign, the lead up? So Scrap the Cap is um, a campaign um, which is actually we are promoting international students to uh, submit like videos of their experiences. Um, they can have an, they, it, they have an option to like blur their faces or like change their name if they're not um, comfortable um, putting out their information to the public. Um, and the cap is going to be happening on July of this year. So we are aiming to actually start out the campaign as early as now. Mm. And sorry, uh, additional to that is that the videos and also we have um, a petition that we are uh, circulating. Yeah. And what can you tell... Um, what can, you, can you tell us about... Um, in terms of like lobbying, in terms of the campaign, has have we gotten have you gotten any sort of political representatives on board um, with this campaign, or yeah, is there anyone who are actually kind of supporting the kind of demands of, of what you're demanding? Um, currently, we are talking with unions and trade halls, but we are also open for partnerships. So yeah, that's what we have for now, and we are um, we have an open letter that we will be circulating soon as well. Um, Jinky, uh, hi, this is Zane. I was hoping you could comment on the, I guess, the class basis of the of the international students who this affects most, because some people will come to study in Australia and they're from a rich pam- family and their parents pay for them to stay in a nice place and give them an allowance. But the sort of students who are needing to work while they're studying are people who are from a more working class background and they're really trying to, you know, get an education, get a degree at a respected Australian university so that that will help their career. And so the the people this is going to affect most are really the poorest international students, yeah? Yeah, that's correct. Um, I agree. So that's why we are promoting this campaign, actually. Um, Scrap the Cap, uh, its aim is also to introduce um, the support network for international students, which can help, um, you know, the concerns of uh, the students from the working class. And um, 
to maybe to conclude, I guess, the, um, the interview in terms of any final comments and I guess how people, you know, how can our listeners can support this campaign um, and get, and be involved in, yeah, oh, great, because you're looking for partnerships, especially yeah. um, building developing links with um, trade unions, potentially community groups and also politicians. Yeah. So um, uh, international students can reach us out through their Facebook page. Which I'm sorry, sorry. Um, uh, international students can reach us, uh, can reach SNIS through their Facebook page. Yeah, um, which yeah. is Support Network for International Students. Yes, yeah, that's correct. And, and um, oh, sorry. Oh, no, you can continue. Yep. You're... Okay. Um, also, I just wanted to plug that if you, uh, if there are any interested um, youth out, youth, youths out there, especially the Filipino youth, um, we encourage you to join Anakbay in Melbourne. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Right. Well, thank you very much, um, Jen Key. And yeah, we'll provide, um, we'll prov- um, when we upload the podcast of this program, um, we'll provide the links to, to all that. So people, um, so people who can listen to this, who are listening to this interview can get, um, can be directed to both the petition, uh, the, the support yeah. network for international students and also Akda, uh, Nakaban, um, Mel- Nakaban. Mel- yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for being on our program. All right. Mabuhay. Cheers. Okay, bye. Um, yeah, Jenki Estepa from Anakbayan, Melbourne, and a volunteer for the support network for international students there, fighting for students to be able to support themselves while they're studying at uni. Um, and really, if you're in a position where you need to be going to work that many hours on top of doing full-time study, it's, you know... That's that's not a fun thing. That's not <laughs> students ideally would be supported. Australia is a very rich country. There's no need for this. There should be plenty of public housing. There should be really cheap housing available for students when they come here to study and go to uni. Australia should be doing degree internationalism and supporting people to come here from across the region, go to uni, get a degree. And making it easy and affordable for people to do that, not erecting barriers that help entrench a situation where you've got rich, well-educated on one side of an arbitrary border and then poor people locked out of the education system on the other side of the border. Everyone should have access to a full education, including uni. And there's just no reason that Australia, a rich country, should be putting barriers in the way to that. Definitely. All right. Well, I'm just going to go play um, a quick announcement. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. Kafirs are Palestinian scarves, and they're a symbol of support for justice for the Palestinian people. Buying one will support the last remaining factory in Hebron that makes kafirs, and all proceeds from the sales support projects in Palestine, especially Gaza, as well as local solidarity organisations. From the traditional black and white kafir to an array of modern designs, all scarves are $35 each. Explore the range and order online, or drop by 3CR during business hours. Wear your support for the rights of Palestinians. Go to kafias.org.au. That's K-U-F-I-Y-A-S.org.au. A 3CR supporter.
All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. And I thought we'd play another song. Um, this is a song that's actually featured, if you go onto the Green Left um, website, um, we always cover the Matt Ward sort of album kind of wrap-ups. And um, one of the albums that um, that he's um, that he's covered um, is um, Jen Culler's um, newest album, I Am The River and The River Is Me. And so we'll, sort of, we'll play one of the tracks from, um, from that album, um, which is titled Mana Takata... Pooh. You're listening to Green Left Radio on Freesia 855am. I know you're weak. I know you struggle just to blink. You held a queen and traded her down for a joker Now a gay like me A gay like me is in your dreams A gay like me is in your dreams and always will be
All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM, and you're just listening to Mana Takarpo by Jen Kula. And um, yeah, you can um, you can actually find more kind of radical kind of music and suggestions from Matt Ward's um, album kind of wrap up of which this song was actually taken from. Um, so yeah, if you go on to uh, Green Left into the the culture kind of t- um, section, um, you can find a link: um, ten new albums to put the world to rights. Oh no no I oh, know no. it's it's ten new albums that fight for your rights. That was the one. That's the that's the March album wrap up that um Matt Ward did. Okay, so now it is actually time for the Green Left kind of activist calendar. Um, so the first plug I want to give is um, there is going to is the Marxism conference it is currently happening um, this weekend, and it's going to be happening at the universe. It starts actually today at nine a.m. That's when the doors open with the kind of first session at ten a.m. And inequality is, and to give a bit of kind of discussion, you know, Marxism is generally one of the biggest sort of anti-capitalist gatherings in Australia. Um, it's organised by Socialist Achievement, and generally there's all sorts of different sessions on political kind of topics, and that's just going to be happening at the University of Melbourne, uh, near the kind of Arts West sort of building, near the cafe. Um, that's where most of the, the conference is going to be taking place, and that's going to be happening over this today, Saturday and Sunday. Yes, and Marxism Conference is uh, organised by Socialist Alternative, but um, they obviously actively encourage anyone who's in the ballpark of uh, the left more generally, the radical left, to come and check it out. Um, So, yeah, it's not just for Socialist Alternative members. Um, On the conference page, you can go to marxismconference.org to book either a one-day or a full conference ticket. Uh, And they are emphasising COVID safety, so they're encouraging people, please wear um, a good N95 P2 mask uh, if you're heading along. And they've got HEPA filters in uh, every room where the sessions are happening. So, yeah, trying to be a bit COVID safety conscious and... um, try not to make it a super spreader event okay um so the next event to, to sort of highlight is um also happening on saturday is uh, the james Connolly association easter commemoration which is happening at 12 noon at the melbourne um, general cemetery at 12 o'clock i think if you look at the Mel- james Connolly association um, we- um facebook page you can get some more kind of details about that on thursday april the 13th um I think there's going there's to be uh, an event. In fact, I'm actually potentially interested in coming along to this. Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be available to it. Um, it's a conversation with um, First Nations author, and this is organised by Readings, um, Alexis um, Wright, who um, actually has just released a new novel recently. Um, I'm actually being a big, uh, I'm actually a bit of a fan of her work and had to read her um, one of her novels, The Swan Book, um, for uni. And, um, yeah, she's generally a really great sort of author um, that really draws on a sort of very radical vision of First Nations sovereignty. Um, so I definitely think, yeah, def- um, I think definitely want to give a bit of a plug to her work as an author. And yeah, that's happening at 6.30pm, Church Four Nations, 180 Palmerston Street in Carlton. On Tuesday, April the 18th, there's a public forum, Militarism and War in the Asia-Pacific, Why AUKUS is a Disaster for Humanity, and that's happening at 6.30pm with a meal from 6pm at the Resistance Centre, Level 5, 407 Stronson Street, and it's been organised by Green Left and Socialist Alliance. Um, And then there's going to be a film screening, The Giants, The Extraordinary Story of Rob Brown and the Forest. 
Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to find if there's any other sort of events um, that are just. Let's go quickly, just double check. Um, there's obviously the we've. Um, if you're coming up to try, if you're willing to shop up to Newcastle, there's obviously the camp for client action from twenty. Um, from Friday the 14th of April to the 17th of April. I think they actually had to change their venue actually recently. So it's now at the Murak Cultural Centre. And you can probably find the details for that. And just trying to look at what else. Um, yeah, I should give you a plug for an, a few other things. Um, there is the May Day dinner uh, at the Geelong Trades Hall on, on Saturday the 6th of May. And there should also be some May Day rallies also happening. Uh, around that weekend. And also, I just want to give a plug, um, the Eco-Socialism 2023 conference by Green Left and Socialist Alliance. Um, more details for this are going to be coming up um, week every week, um, including um, speakers. And that's going, to be, that's going to be happening on Saturday, the 1st and 2nd of July at the Victorian Trades Hall. And yeah, it's basically going to be featuring sessions and on politics. And our keynote speaker is Kohei Saito, who is a author of Marx and the Anthropocene. And he's basically been, he's basically, you know, a Japanese Marxist that's actually presenting these sort of ideas of, of, of degrowth communism. And um, also, you know, making the links between the need for for Marxism and and, and ecology. All right. So I think that's um, pretty much all the kind of events. Um, So maybe I might, just go play a quick few announcements. Um, you're listening to Green Left Radio. 3CR programs provide information and analysis you won't hear in the mainstream. Today we'll be looking at the legacy of the US war on Vietnam on Laos. And as far as corporate capitalism is concerned, it is the worst political and economic system that you can have. Our laws about jailing refugees and asylum seekers are so well crafted. Sex is not irrelevant and we like who we are, but we don't have to be imprisoned by our gender. Become a subscriber today. Call us on 9419 8377 or visit 3cr.org.au. 3CR, the voice of dissent. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go and I don't like it and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 855 on the AM dial. All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on 3CR, 855 AM. So I thought I'd just play another quick song um, before our final interview for the program. I'll play Always Remember by Drumming Now. You're listening to Green Left Radio.
open eyes to see ancestors asking many questions what all these lessons I compressed upon now which dresses fuels trial prediction guesses anyone's best guesses now they got generations seeking mass convalescence eucalyptus widow bar devious shepherds totems taken with no conscience or questions no concept or consciousness of things before the present vacuous and empty like the windswept desert heroin house under the moon crescent in the noon sunrise to change the present we can range trauma laden generations fed up but the focus to be better and spot colonial resin fermented in these strange weathers some seamen to get stuck in quagmires vision torn and severed but original lines always remembered hold together in the now as we hold on to forever more treasures we always remember our Strange ways submerged in haze gray upon Halcyon days, how unseen in the maze Destitute ways, left with the loot and skipped frames Top conditions, formulated wild renditions Play victims in written cinematic systems But they got a dome messed up land covered in division Wild incisions, a carnage of innocent fixing Why just sit and wait it for a minute Spirit get to floating up beyond metropolis This river locomotion, hear the trick Release the pain beyond the hocus pocus Open heart release into the souls of and devotion From eons before to the very present moment I just sit and analyze Reacquaint and scope But I'm still here trying to stay blessed Stand strong and spot Stress is trickled down A riffy conquest Another warrior woman Just trying to get rest On this quest I will close eyes Focus and catch breath Stoke and fire Contain an ashes from the sacred pile With the life dripping down Create the spirit lock Yes We always remember our Always remember Yeah, we always remember why All right, you're listening to Green Left Radio on Freesia 855 AM, and you're just listening to Always Remember by Drumming Now. Now, we're very happy to be joined um, today by um, Michaela Penangres, um, who is an NTU member and casualized academic at the University of Sydney. And the University of Sydney has actually been having a very long um, campaign against uh, against the management at the University of Sydney. Um, so we have Michaela here to talk about uh, the, the campaign, um, especially since there's been a lot of strike action taken, um, taken by the NTU. So, yeah, good morning, uh, Michaela. Uh, good morning, Jacob. Thanks for having me on the show today. Um, so to start off, Michaela, I guess, what can you tell us, I guess, a bit about a bit of the political background? And, and yeah, feel free to give also a bit of a story about, you know, some of the kind of developments that have also happened. Um, because um, 
The background, I guess, in terms of this dispute with the University of Sydney management, it's been described as one of the largest strike campaigns during enterprise bargaining in NTU history. And I think it's gone on for more than 21 months. In fact, I even remember hearing about some strike actions um, related to these negotiations um, from last year. Uh, yeah, that's right. It is um, become quite historic. So we have been in enterprise bargaining um, for 21 months. So um, in enterprise bargaining, that's when we're trying to, the NTU um, and the Sydney Uni NTU branch is trying to get a fair, um, just deal with management in terms of pay and working conditions. So that's what it's all about. Um, unfortunately, management doesn't want to give us some basic conditions, and that's why um, the protest has dragged on for 21 months. So management's been in charge of bargaining. It's hired a, a very expensive lawyer from Melbourne, from the Clayton Woods um, firm, to do its bargaining on behalf of them. And um, we've been fighting pretty hard. We've had nine days so far of strike action, uh, which is historic. And it's uh, probably the longest-running strike action and the longest-running campaign um, by any NTEU branch in Australia. And um, what can, you, can you tell us, I guess, a bit about some of the demands that the University of Sydney, um, that the NTU is demanding of, of, of kind of management? Yeah, so we have um, many demands. So, um, firstly, um, we're demanding that the university um, meet parity in terms of First Nations employment. So, we want the university to commit to a target for First Nations employment parity. Um, This is really important as a lot of First Nations staff have said that it's an unsafe space culturally at the university, plus many of the staff who are there on casual work. And at the same time, the university does not have a proper system in place to employ First Nations staff. So we want an enforceable target. Another really important demand is that we want an unconditional right for academic staff to have 40-40-20, which means basically 40% of their work can be researched the university wants to basically phase this out and put in a huge increase in education focus role, which basically limits the amount of research academics can do to basically none, uh, which, as you can imagine, the university will really undermine the quality of research and teaching and any innovation. Um, the other thing we're fighting really hard for is a real pay rise above inflation. What they've currently offered us is in effect, a pay cut. And this is during the cost of living crisis. Rents are pretty astronomical here in Sydney. The other thing we're fighting for is protection for professional staff and those in our Centre for English Teaching for um, retaining their jobs and for internal hiring. So they're just some of the issues we're fighting for. Um, Yeah, my colour, just on that last subject, can you... Tell us a little bit about uh, ongoing casualisation of um, of university staff and and the the kind of ongoing hoops that people have to jump through to be get, 
you get these ongoing little contracts that go for another six months or another year. So you're constantly chasing the breadcrumbs. Yeah, so um, as Jacob mentioned, I'm a casual staff, so this is very close to my heart. Hmm. So um, basically when you're a casual employed at most universities in Australia, you don't get a proper contract as such. You get a, 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 well, actually you get a casual schedule, which is a mini contract for the duration of the semester. And then before next semester starts, you have to basically apply for more work and that can be very um, stressful. So basically there's there's no sense of security at all. It's totally precarious. Then there's a whole other um, set of staff who are on small fixed-term contracts, which are a year or two years, uh, which also is extremely precarious. And basically at Sydney Uni, there's about 70% of us out of the whole staff that are in precarious, either casual or fixed-term contract work. And you can imagine what this does to people's sort of lives. Um, basically, you know, you can't save, you can't plan, you can't um, think about having children. I know many younger um, academics who want to have children have put that off because they're not in um, secure jobs. So one thing we've been finding really hard for is um, pay for casual, pay for all hours work. Currently, casuals at Sydney Uni have experienced huge wage theft, as they have also at Melbourne Uni, um, which you probably know about being in Melbourne. Now, um, we have also been fighting really hard for sick pay for casuals, um, and we've finally got a commitment from our management to five days sick pay for casuals. Um, it's not enough, but it's pretty groundbreaking um, in terms of the universities everywhere in Australia who have so far refused to get any casuals, any sick leave. Mm. I, I imagine it must be a bit of a barrier to getting people involved in the EBA campaign as well because people would be uh, scared about kind of getting you know blacklisted or whatever. When you're on these recurring little six or, or 12-month contracts, you, you might not want to stick your neck out in case you don't get that next contract. Must be yeah, that's a, yeah, that's 100% true. And, you know, we have um, uh, heard a number of stories of casual staff being pressured by their supervisors not to join the union because they're not going to... Um, they've been told they will not get a job next semester. Um, there's a lot of fear about that. However, there is a growing sense of solidarity amongst casual staff. And there's definitely a growing sense that, you know, if we, we can fight this together. Mm. But definitely you're right that in terms of the precarious precarity of the workforce, it's definitely a strategy to undermine any unionism and undermine workers' power. So that's why we've had to do a lot of organising work on the ground to try and um, to try and get a sense of solidarity between casual staff and also between casual staff and permanent staff. Um, so that gets into the kind of next kind of question, actually. And what can you, Michaela, what can you guess tell us a bit about some of the actions that have taken place, including some of the strike, including the strike action? There was like two days of strike action that I'm pretty sure happened in the guests this past week. And I guess from your perspective, as someone who's been active in this whole um, in this whole campaign, I mean, how has the kind of union kind of grown? Um, you know. 
how has the kind of union kind of grown throughout this process? Because, you know, for such a long kind of campaign, I'm sure there's been lots of meetings, um, lots of discussion, lots of debate, um, which is all kind of, you know, that can be quite a, a source of kind of excitement and a real, you know, can create a whole basis for politicisation for, for workers in that context and especially draw in new people to, to, the, trade, um, to the union. Yeah, and we've, we've definitely had an increase in union membership during this campaign. Um, there is a lot of feeling amongst staff that, that you know, things aren't okay at the university. There's a feeling of excitement and a bit of momentum in the campaign, which is great. And we have had new members. So as I mentioned, this, we recently had um, on Wednesday this week there's our ninth strike actions. We've already had two strike days this year and um, six strike days last year. So that's, um, you know, a, a huge amount of work for organisers on campus, um, which I've been involved in very heavily. I do a lot of work with a group called Rank and Fire Action, which is um, we're an, an NTU group, but we are trying to basically get members active on the ground um, in their work areas, organising with each other and talking about their issues and um, joining the union and doing what they can to um, come on board with the union's campaign. So there is a feeling of growing solidarity um, and there's definitely a sense that, you know, despite the length of the campaign, there's a, there's a sense of growing excitement and that, you know, we might actually be able to gain some historic wins. All right. And um, what can you, can you give us, I guess, any kind of final comments to kind of, um, and especially, yeah, any final comments and, you know, how people can kind of like also give solidarity, um, um, so, solidarity to strikers, but um, to a University of Sydney, because I think, um, there is actually quite a lot happening and we might even have listeners from other universities because I know that Deakin University is also going through uh, through disputes. There's also going to be strike action happening at University University of Melbourne. Um, you know, maybe some comments on, like, you know, the significance of of this fight um, and how it will and how it will potentially could potentially lay the basis for, you know, stronger conditions at other universities and also potentially expire other fight backs. Yeah. So Sydney University is, is sort of seen within the higher education sector as one of the leading sites because of our size um, and because of the wealth of our management. So what what we win during our campaign for the university will have a flow-on effect to other universities. Now, the other significance is that there's, a, there's been a global... There's a global movement within higher education within unions, especially in the UK and the US and now here in Australia, of saying, you know, enough is enough in terms of the conditions and the precarious nature of academic work. So that's also a factor. And then the other thing is that, um, you know, the university system, the way it's been run by neoliberal management in Australia, especially since the 80s and 90s, the whole system needs a massive overhaul. So it's um, it's critical that, you know, we show solidarity to each other, to other universities um, who are fighting similar struggles, that we 
hand each other's tickets or, or at least give messages of solidarity um, because, you know, things do need to change for the better. Um, for community members, you know, we have, um, you know, we have strike action. It's really great. We had members from other unions at our strike on Wednesday. Uh, we had community members on the picket lines as well, which was a great. So that's really another way people can support us. It's also really great on social media, um, and this is what I do personally. Like, I follow other campaigns in the country and globally and offer support. And um, so these are just some of the strategies of, of giving solidarity. Right. Well, thank you very much, Michaela, for um, being on our program. And yes, all the solidarity um, with your with the dispute. Um, and yeah, we look forward to actually, you know, seeing you push um, harder and actually, yeah, potentially winning. It'll be, fa- it'll, I think, it'd be a fantastic win for workers uh, if you if the you know if the NTU are able to win their demands in this dispute. One hundred percent agree. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show, Jacob. Okay, nice. Thanks, Michaela. All right. We're just speaking um, to Michaela, who's a casualised academic at the uh, at uh, University of Sydney, about the kind of ongoing kind of strike action that has been um, happening at the University of Sydney. In fact, yeah, they've had I think at least seven days of of strike action, um, which is quite exciting. And in fact, just to give a bit of a plug, I mentioned it before. I think University of Melbourne is actually potentially beginning some strike action soon. I'll find the details of it actually um, for our program maybe next Friday, and potentially we might even have an interview about it. And I know Deakin University is also um, potentially in in disputes right now, um, and we'll possibly we've actually covered some of the dispute in on our program before. And I guess probably just one sort of general point to make is it's kind of it's it's quite fascinating. I think that. Um, you know, during this, during the whole COVID nineteen pandemic, you know, bec- um, you know, the government actually obviously did not give proper support uh, uh, to universities, and universities management actually used it as an as a kind of argument to kind of you know have more redundancies and you know, make make cutbacks. But actually, you know, I would actually have to admit, you know, when you look at, you know, we just interviewed um, uh, an activist from the Sport Network for International Students, but one point that has to be pointed out, well, actually, we are going back, universities are actually now going back into a bit of a period of normalcy. You know, there's now international students um, coming in great numbers. I mean, having just been at University of Melbourne, there's a large number of university students have, have started coming to university again. And, you know, you still have these university management still crying poor and continuing to casualise the workforce and continuing to make cutbacks. And I just think it's quite outrageous in a lot of ways. Meanwhile, the vice chancellors make, you know, hundreds of thousands and they also hold lots of assets um, that is actually worth millions. So I think this is, yeah, I think it's quite outrageous, the attacks that university management are putting uh, against university workers um, and I, and especially in the context of the fact that, you know, things are, there is a sense of normalcy coming back to the university sector in terms of income. Hmm. All right. Um, now we'll probably maybe we'll um, we'll possibly conclude this program. I mean, just a few. Um, I hope everyone has a, a good Easter weekend. Um, I presume some of our listeners will be probably uh, attending the the Marxism conference this weekend, so we might see some of you there. I think I, I'll probably be trying to attend today. And um, yeah, I like to thank all our listeners. Um, I also want to give a plug that you know if you support the work um, that 
Green Left um, Radio does. You can all um, you can become a supporter by um, supporting Green Left by going to greenleft.org.au forward slash support, and you can also become a um, subscriber of free becoming a subscriber of Free CR is also another way of supporting Green Left Radio and Free CR. And yeah, becoming a subscriber just involves going on to freecr.org.au and then going to the subscribe page. So yeah, okay, nice. And stick around, cause. Uh, did I hear you correctly? Is Sid Santa Duffy doing left after breakfast from 8.30 on Fridays now? Yes. I, I, I think it's a thing. I think it should be a thing. Um, just let me go look at what the pre-recording, if I have a pre-recording to play here. Oh, yes. It, yeah. Yeah, it is left after breakfast. So, it's a pre-recording. Mm. So, yep. Stay tuned for left after after breakfast. You're listening to Green Left Radio on FreeCR 855 AM. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which brings an alternative source of information that puts people and planet before profit. If you like our work, become a supporter from $5 per month at greenleft.org.au slash support or free call 1-800-634-206. Arise, you workers from the slumbers. Arise, you prisoners of want. For reason in revolt now thunders and at last since the age of Kant. Away with all your superstitions. Serve all masses. Arise. We'll change henceforth the old tradition and spurn the dust to win the prize. That's right. The commies are back. Reds underneath your beds and that crap.